Before we begin, take a deep breath. Inhale slowly and close your eyes, focusing on the rise of your abdomen. Release the air quickly, open your eyes, and refocus. Once more. In and out. Now that you've completed a few rounds of mindful breathing, you're one step closer to becoming Mike Trout. Alright, maybe not. What you've just created, though, is a small amount of time dedicated to refocusing your mindset and slowing your thoughts. That technique is applicable in any situation and by any kind of person, including an 8-time MLB All-Star and 7-time Silver Slugger Award winner. No big deal. But athletes don't become elite based on skill alone. In order to be elite, you have to think elite. You have to have a closer mentality. Today's guest walks us through the process of perfecting mental performance. It's hard to recognize that you need to grow for most people at any age, any level, if they've never been challenged. That's Joe Carbone. This goes for elementary school kids that get straight A's and don't want to study for anything because they don't have to. To the high school athlete who's sitting, high school baseball or softball player who's sitting 600 without even thinking about it in a high school level. And it happens. And those athletes, having talked to just about anybody who does draft prep, most of them, if they've never failed before, they get to pro ball and they fail the first couple of years and they can't recover from it. Carbone's a graduate of West Virginia University where he received his Bachelor of Science in Sport and Exercise Psychology. And in May 2020, he graduated from Springfield College with a Master of Education in Counseling. Carbone recently relocated to Georgia to begin work at Fort Benning. Performance psychology, although normally superimposed on elite athletes, is crucial for members of the military as well. Carbone's previous work at West Point's Center for Enhanced Performance served to connect the thought processes of athletes and military personnel. While at West Point, he assisted cadets and student-athletes with relaxation training in the school's kinesthetic lab. The K-Lab utilized vision training, biofeedback, and egg chairs, among other modes of intentional relaxation. While a cadet sat in the noise-canceling egg chairs and listened to a 10-15 to minute guided imagery script, an M-Wave monitor was attached to his or her ear. Once they do that, they come back out and we can actually show them how relaxed they are or if there's parts where they spiked and then went down, we can say, hey, what happened here? And it's like, oh yeah, at some point my phone went off and I heard it, or I just kind of started to lose focus. And you can very much see, oh, you're relaxing, relaxing, relaxing because your heart rate variability is increasing and then it drops. Which means that your, all the focus that you had on your relaxation, just the calm shifted. Among the relaxation of the K-Lab, the stark difference of a DynaVision board tests student-athletes' reactionary impulses. It's meant to produce a stress response akin to game time. The large board is designed to improve visual perceptual awareness, eye-hand coordination, upper extremity range of motion, endurance, and anticipation. Carbone once worked with a hockey player who wanted to mirror his reactivity to external stimuli. You're struggling with kind of maintaining your focus, staying in the moment, staying present. Okay, I can't put you on skates in the rink right now. But I can stress you out by pushing your limits on this board and creating that stress response. 
because the stress response that he's going to get, he gets from me pushing him a little bit on that board is the same thing that he would get theoretically on the ice. Carbone says the training that response becomes much easier through imagery. In essence, the act of imagining a game time scenario while manufacturing a stress response will better prepare athletes to handle stressful situations with ease in the long run. For those who don't have access to ergonomically sound noise-isolating egg chairs and six-foot-long light-up reaction boards, mental skills training can still be achieved with far less technology. Introducing youth athletes to the bare-bones mental skills training principles produces a well-rounded athlete come draft time. For Carbone, strong mental skills frameworks have been present every step of his professional career, from youth sport in his experience with high school swim and dive and basketball teams, to his Springfield College football and gymnastics work. He also worked with the Rockland Boulders, an independent baseball team in Pomona, New York. Carbone enjoys working with youth and amateur athletes because he has seen the groundwork being laid for an open dialogue about sports psychology. That makes it easier for him to translate the advanced work he does to athletes who are still figuring out how to incorporate the skills into their lives and their game. And then it's then alternating and trying to figure out now, okay, not just the skills, but why do they need to know the skill? How do they make the skill a little more complex or a little more deep? So it's not just we're doing imagery today. It's now how do we use this? Why do we use this? Where do we use this? When do we use this? With youth sport, Carbone says he has to present the topics in an easily digestible way. Skill sets like focus, imagery, and arousal reduction are easily applicable. The external pressure and anxiety arousal comes from close family, as opposed to thousands of fans on social media, so it's easier to break down into parts. Youth athlete has mom, dad, and about 40 other parents, 50 other parents. So the pressure is less external pressure, it's more internal pressure. Life experience is a huge thing that you have to work off of in a lot of ways, and just younger athletes don't have that as much. For those battling the pressures of family and friends, coupled with the normal wear and tear of a regular season, fatigue can set in quickly. Carbone advises to prioritize mental skills training and positive mindset work when muscle fatigue sets in. While at Springfield, Carbone created specific workshops which were tailored to lengthening endurance. These workshops varied based on how far into the seasons the teams were, but Carbone saw an interesting trend toward the middle and end of the seasons. He held a self-talk workshop for the wrestling team to test his hypothesis. It started with an arm wrestling tournament. Arm wrestle three times, best of three, just to find a baseline. All the three O's stayed three O's. The rest of the groups, the two ones, I had everybody split in half. So one person was a number one, was a one, one was a two. The number ones had positive self-talk, number twos had negative, and then they flipped after three. And when they, the number ones, or the person who had the positive self-talk, always won. The workshop continued and the wrestlers began to get increasingly tired. Those who had won their bouts were tested again with one condition. Both sides had positive self-talk. This created an uneven scenario where the winners were all two ones. When Carbone then reinstituted the positive and negative self-talk delineation, the positive wrestlers all ended 3-0 once again. Those with negative self-talk were less focused and subsequently less successful. Carbone found an easy reset routine for those athletes. Listen, narrow down for these 30 seconds. As that round is coming to an end and you're feeling it, narrow that focus down and just hang in for 30 seconds. Stay here, be here, and then when that bell rings, Breathe, let it go, release it all, almost like clenching your fist and then just letting it all go for the time being. We got another round going, then we refocus. 
Sometimes, natural breaks in play can facilitate time to refocus. In the words of the late sports psychology consultant, Dr. Ken Revisa, Control the controllables. I can control what happens when I fall on this ball. Focus on one task at a time, or focus on the one or two tasks that you have to do at a time. In soccer, game is fast. And there's very few landmarks that are constantly there. In baseball, the foul poles are always there. In lacrosse, you have your stick. You, can, you have usually a logo on your stick. You can draw something on your stick. In baseball, you can draw something on your bat or your batting glove. Stress and fatigue take your attention away from the sport. And when you lapse your focus, that's where if you're in a contact sport, you're going to get hit. That lapse may occur due to external factors such as thoughts unrelated to sport, a stressful exam that the athlete needs to study for, or bills that need paid. It also may be intrinsically related to the amount of sleep the athlete is getting. Part of Carbone's research at West Point was sleep-related. For those who struggle with hyperactivity, falling asleep may be the missing link between where they are and the elite level they hope to perform at. In a 2014 study conducted by Julif, Halston, and Pfeiffer out of Australia, from a sample of 283 elite Australian athletes, it was concluded that 59.1% of team sport athletes had no strategy in place to rebound from a poor sleep schedule. Alternately, individual sport athletes utilize relaxation and reading as restful cues around bedtime. Mindfulness tactics like reading, conscious relaxation periods, and meditation can be incredibly helpful in the refocusing techniques the athletes use both on and off the field. Mindfulness is not turning your mind off. It's not turning your brain off. It's not the idea of not thinking. What it is, uh, what it actually is, is the presence, is the awareness of just knowing where you are in the present moment. A lack of sleep can result in mindfulness and focus issues as well as irritability in athletes who are perpetually sleep deprived. The pressure to perform at 100% at all times will never be fulfilled without proper sleep schedules. Dr. Charles Seisler, the Baldino Professor of Sleep Medicine and Director of the Division of Sleep Medicine at Harvard Medical School, linked a deficient sleep schedule to decreased performance. He said that around 30% of Americans report not getting enough sleep every single night. We have an, two major regulatory processes that affect how alert we are at any given moment. One of them is related to how many hours that we've slept and how long we've been awake. And the second is an internal clock in the brain that times sleep and times our tendency to feel alert and our tendency to feel sleepy. The concept of the monkey mind comes from Buddhist writings which assert that the mind is always running like a chattering monkey. The monkey mind naturally disrupts sleep and the body's circadian rhythm. Due to human nature's innate capacity for constant thought, the monkey mind became synonymous with an inner monologue, the voice in our heads, present in times of strife as well as calm, like bedtime. We all have this monkey mind that's just constantly going and we can't turn it off. It's always kind of running around in the background. You can't really control this great, like the monkey mind. Remember from Southeast Asia, makes more sense in context that way. But it's always going, it's always trying to distract you doing different things. You're never gonna fully turn it off. But what you can do is, te is to teach yourself to quiet that monkey mind. The Buddhist perspective recommends intentional meditation. Time set aside from a busy life, focused on connecting with that monkey or that train of thought. Yoga and Tai Chi are also linked to direct mental and physical relaxation. For those who find solace in more intense forms, 
The monkey mind can also be quieted through the endorphin rush that follows strenuous exercise like running and boxing. If the monkey mind is left unchecked, time dedicated to restful sleep diminishes and activities push further toward midnight. Dr. Seisler mentioned that in order to quiet the monkey mind, we must consciously change our mindset and decrease screen time in the two to three hours prior to sleep. Putting pointed relaxation at the forefront will reset the release of melatonin. And that hormone is typically released an hour or two before we go to bed at night. But that release of the hormone can be suppressed by light, and it can also be shifted by light. So light exposure in the evening can not only suppress the release of that hormone today, but, but make it occur later on subsequent days. 70% of the HGH that your body produces, the human growth hormone that's naturally produced within the body, happens in the first six hours of sleep. So when you have college athletes, you have pro athletes, you have high school athletes who are not sleeping six hours a night, they're actually not getting back to the baseline. So then every day they're starting at a percentage lower. The monkey mind is to blame. In an intense competition space where constantly thriving to improve is acknowledged and rewarded, sleep gets easily chipped away at. Staying late after a game to continue practicing or cramming for an exam between the hours of 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. all take up valuable time that should be dedicated to restful sleep. The result is an inability to focus. Superimposed on an athlete, even a minute lapse could open the door to serious injury. When Carbone worked with the women's gymnastics team at Springfield, he acknowledged that it gave him new perspective on the impact of his job. He recognized that quick reset routines were easily applied to the few seconds prior to difficult beam routines and tumbling passes. The lessons he taught these athletes were potentially saving them from serious injury. When a gymnast was having issues with mindfulness prior to her floor routine, Carbone had a significant breakthrough. So I gave her this one thing, gave her a quick little reset and just like almost like a breath cue and a focal point cue to use right before her routine or right before her tumbling pass in the routine. And every single time after that, starting with the time where she first did it, she would find me wherever I was, look, make straight eye contact with this ginormous grin. And sometimes just a little subtle thumbs up, like right around like the wa like waist height. And that, without words, gave, told me all I needed to know. And that was like the, you got it. And sometimes it's just, uh, sometimes they tell you, hey, it's not working and we fix it and we go. But that's the kind of communication I want to build with them because it's, I'm, I don't know everything, but let's figure out what works for you. Carbone approaches his work with athletes through counseling, using sport as a microcosm of human nature. My first class at Springfield was a counseling class, not a sports psych class, not a kinesiology class. It was a, sport, it was a counseling theories class. And that set the tone for everything else we we're going to do. My first performance psychology class was athletic counseling. So it was then taking counseling skills, not mental skills, and teaching you how to apply them with athletes and clients that you're working with. And that really framed how my journey at Springfield, my journey as a professional would go, because that's the lens I take now. And it's a lens that has been really, really helpful for me going forward. Viewing sports through the counseling lens relegates the competition factor and leaves behind basic applicable life skills like anxiety reduction and focus maintenance. Carbone has to take a counseling approach as opposed to a performance psychology approach when working with populations which have had limited exposure to sports psychology principles. Now when I'm working with high school, college youth athletes, 
it's most of them have had very little to no no exposure to the field. So then it's the difference in working with them, the difference in the skills is not actually the skills themselves, but it's how I'm presenting. Quieting the athlete's monkey mind requires sports psychology professionals like Carbone to understand the athletes on a much deeper level. When I'm working with the football team at Springfield, I'm not at practice every day, but I have the same group and I know what their struggles are. That we talk, when we talk to them, we have this rapport that we build. High school is the same thing. When you go to those practices, you see what their struggle is. Uh, their struggles are you talk to them, you find out where they're at, and that helps inform the workshops you're in. When physical and mental fatigue sets in, but the constant push and pull of the monkey mind is still present, it's important to have refocusing mechanisms in place. In a restrictive contact sport like wrestling, having those mental crutches to fall back on is important during times when making weight, restrictive diets, and the sheer nature of the sport starts to erode the mind and body. They're all just, their bodies are tired because they've been having to make weight at times. They're just gas. And you can then frame these activities to meet where they are as well. So you have this topic, but then you're also able to hit a subtopic. The aforementioned self-talk workshop was a proud moment for Carbone because it proved that a mindset which is constantly working to keep those athletes mentally afloat simultaneously does translate to a higher physical winning percentage when primed with success as the only option. But is success the only option for elite athletes? I'll be back next week talking with Taylor Staden about how the definition of success can be restructured. That's all for now on Closer Mentality. Happy National Women in Sports Day. I'll see you next week.